Well, we have visitors with us today. It's Memorial Day weekend. Lots of people are camping. It's, to dip, it's a typical Memorial Day weekend. It's not very warm. That's, that's pretty typical. About 1 in 10 do we get a good hot Memorial Day weekend. Often it's you know a little on the cool side, but people are camping. So I thought we would, we would talk about campers. He can only get, you know, so big of a tent on his bike. I don't know. It's a bad day when you got to use a portable portage on anyway. But then we have that going on, you know. Well, we're in the book of Jude. It's written to hardy people like campers. Jude's, Jude's message is we're going to make it. If you got your Bible, why don't you find the book of Jude? It's pretty easy. It's right there in the back next to the book of Revelation. book of Jude ends with these words. Dear friends, verse 17, let the apostles of, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus foretold. They said in the last days there'll be scoffers who will follow their own godly desires. They are like the men who divide you and follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. He said, we're going to have to learn to discern because there's people that are going to be inside the camp, inside the circle of Christianity, and they're going to be teaching things that aren't true. So we have to learn to discern. Then he he ends with these challenges. But you, dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith. We have to build ourselves up. Dig deep into the Word of God. The Apostle Paul said it's able to build you up and pray in the Holy Spirit. Talk to God and talk to Him often because Christianity, the system, our Christian lives, they're built on prayer. You can't have any of this idea that God's got it all under control and so prayer doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the plan. Yes, it does. And if we don't pray, we learn that principle in the Word of God. You have not because you ask not. Prayer is central. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep yourself in God's love. God loves us, but God has tender love and tough love. And he says, keep yourself where God can shower his blessings of tender love on you. Don't get over where God has to show tough love. Don't get over there. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And then he adds, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And that's where we pick it up today. If you have your notes out, number five, wait for Jesus. He's challenging us all. Wait for Jesus. Same word that's in Titus 2. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing and glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's emphasizing this because, number one, we know that the Christian life is both wonderful and challenging. Both wonderful and very hard. It's great, but it's hard sometimes. And he says, so... Number two, you need to determine to stay in the game. That's what he means by wait. He doesn't just mean sit on your hands. He means stay in the game. Number one there, don't take a breather. Can't take a breather in the Christian life. 
Can't ease off, take time off, take our foot off the gas spiritually. Can't put it on cruise. Number two, don't take a detour. Don't get off the narrow path. We've got to wait for Jesus. We've got to be waiting when Jesus comes back. We can't get off the narrow path. Can't follow the crowd. just want to say to everybody and to the young people, you can't follow the crowd. The crowd's not following Jesus. If you walk with the crowd, you won't be following Jesus Christ. We can't take a detour. Number three, we can't allow any drift. Last week we talked about backsliding. We talked about apostasy. Backsliding is a temporary move away from God and apostasy is a permanent move away from God. But it doesn't matter. We can't allow any drift into our life. We can't allow ourselves to drift away from Jesus. So we have to stay in the game. And, and number three there, we have to keep focused on the prize. Keep focused on the prize. There's an end game. It says keep focused on the prize. We know, number one, heaven is real. Heaven's real. By the way, so is hell. They're both real. And honestly, we don't talk about either one very much anymore. But they're both real. Heaven's real. It's at the end of the narrow road. It's not at the end of the broad road. You've got to go through the narrow gate and go down the narrow road to find life because broad is the way. Broad's the gate, broad's the way, but it leads to destruction. If we want to get to heaven, we've got to walk the narrow road behind Jesus Christ. Got to go through the gate and ask Jesus to be our Savior and Lord and really make a commitment to Him. And then we've got to follow Him down that narrow road all the way to the end. We can't get off. And at the end, we're going to find out that heaven's real. Number two, we've got to put our hope in Jesus, not in America. We're celebrating today some of the great things about America and what the soldiers, past and present, have protected for us. But we have to say this. The hope for this world is not in America. That's true, isn't it? It's not in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. By the way, we have people in both parties in this room this morning, and that's perfectly fine. You don't have to be one party or the other to follow Jesus Christ down the narrow road. And if anybody says you do, they're saying something that's not true. Hope is not in America. It's not in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. It's not in the new balance on the Supreme Court. That is not where our hope lies. Our hope lies in Jesus Christ. There are people in this room high on Donald Trump and people not so high. And there are people in this room that were really high on Obama and people who are not so high. But here's what we can be united on. We can be high on Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor. Say, I'm high on Jesus. <laughs> Me too. And I don't care too much about what party you're in. I'm just glad you're here in church this morning worshiping Jesus Christ. I want to say we ought to be careful what we post lest we begin to make it seem like you have to be a certain party to be a follower of Jesus Christ and it's not true. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He says we need to wait. Stay in the game. Focus on the prize. And then he says this in verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corruptible flesh. 
He says number six in your notes, help those who are struggling. And, and then he mentions three groups. And he wants to remind us that Christianity is not a team sport. Excuse me, it's not an individual sport. It is a team sport. And we have to help people who are struggling. And he mentions three groups because he likes num the number three. He likes illustrations that come in three. So he says, first of all, be merciful to those who doubt. Number one, work with the doubters. That's the people who are confused. As you make your journey down the Christian life, you'll bump into people who are confused. They have doubts. Sometimes they're your children or your grandchildren. We, we have to work with those people. You say, what does that mean? Well, number one there, answer their questions patiently. Where did Cain get his wife? You have to answer those questions. How about the dinosaurs? You say, this doesn't matter to anybody. Yes, it does, actually. And we need just to be patient and answer their questions. How do we know the Bible's true and not the Koran? I mean, every religion's got their book. How do we know the Bible is the truth and not the Koran? Is there any difference between the two of them? Well, there is difference. And we need to explain to them, like the Bible has over 2,000 predictive prophecies. You say, well, all religions have them. No, they don't. In the Koran, there's only one predictive prophecy, and that's that Muhammad's going to go to Mecca. That's it. That's like I'm going to go to Tony Green's open house in a little bit. That's not much of a predictive prophecy. That's not the kind of thing we're talking about in the Bible. These books are not the same. Number two, we've got to discuss the issues carefully. We have to help the people who are struggling and doubting and they have questions. We need to discuss the issues carefully. Like what? Like the Bible and contradictions. It comes up all the time. You've had people say this. There's all these contradictions in the Bible. No. Nope, there aren't. We have to explain to them the difference between a contradiction and two viewpoints of the same story. Cindy and I went to Walmart on Friday night and we bumped into Jeff and Brenda Samuels and Matt and Sarah Waller. We talked to them both. You say, is this true? No, this is a story. One of you talked to Cindy and she says, yeah, Bob and I went to Walmart and we talked to Jeff and Brenda Samuels. And I say to somebody else, Cindy and I went to Walmart and we talked to Matt and Sarah Waller. That is not a contradiction. Do you see that? That's not a contradiction. That's just two people telling a story without all the details. A contradiction, if Cindy says, I went to Walmart Friday night, last Friday night at 8 o'clock and I saw Jeff and Brenda Samuels and I talked to them. And I say, we did not go to Walmart on Friday night at 8 o'clock, and we did not talk to Jeff and Brenda Samuels. That is a contradiction. The Bible isn't full of contradictions, but over and over again, you have two people talking about the same story from two different viewpoints. We have to explain that kind of thing to people. We have to help them understand. Number two, creation and evolution. We, we have to have conversations about this. Do you know why? It's not enough just to say creation's true. Our young people are going to go to college, and in college, people are going to say things to them, and it's going to rattle them. It rattles some of us, in all honesty. How can creation be true if science says the world is so very, very old? Well, we have to have discussions on this and help the people who are struggling with this. This bothers some people. How can we say the Bible is true when it says the world is very, very young? 
like 10,000 years or less, and science says the world is very, very old, like millions and billions of years old. We have to talk about this. You say, well, Pastor, what is the answer? Well, God created the world to look old. You say, you don't know that. Of course I know that. Everyone knows that. God created the world to look old. On day three, when God made trees, and he said to Adam, hey, you can't eat the fruit of that one. Do you think there was fruit on the tree? Does a tree that's been planted for one day have fruit on it? No, it doesn't. And here's how come there was, because God made that tree full grown with fruit hanging on it. And if you'd have looked at it, you'd have thought that tree was 15, 20 years old. He made the world to look old. On day four, when God made the stars, he said, here's the sun and here's the moon, and everybody went, ooh. And then he said, and here's all the stars. And everybody went. I don't see anything. Do you know why? Because the light from the nearest star takes four years to get here. So if he created stars on day four and he said to Adam, hey, how do you like them? Adam said, I can't see nothing. Well, all those little dots up there in the heavens, those are stars. And Adam said, there are no dots. Because the light from the nearest star takes four years to get here. Alpha Centauri. It's not really the nearest star. It's in a group of three stars. Some of you are technical. It's in a group of three stars. And it's just the brightest of the three. You know this already, though. It takes, it takes four light years. Light traveling at 186,000 miles per second four years for the light from that closest star to get here. Adam would have had to wait four years to see the first star pop up in the sky. But that's not how it worked. God created all those stars and he created the light already here. You see, it looked old. You say, Pastor McNeil, Adam wasn't there on day four. Don't mess with my story. By the way, if Alpha Centauri blew up tomorrow, we wouldn't know for four years. <laughs> light from those stars takes a long time to get here. There's a star out there. It takes nine billion light years for the light to get here. We see it, though. Do you know why? Because God created the light already coming. We, we have to answer these questions. Number three, about Jesus and the resurrection. How do you know that he really rose from the dead. Well, Jesus Christ did things only God could do. He did things only God could do. Re read the book, Case for Christ. Read the book, Who Moved the Stone? Number four, we've got to talk about evil and suffering. How come there's so much evil and suffering in this world if there's a God here? This bothers people. And if nothing else, at least help them see that if you remove God, evil and suffering still stay here. Evil and suffering are here. Whether God's here or not, evil and suffering are. If you remove God, does it help? Help them see this. Help them. We have to help the people who are struggling. Number two, we have to warn those in danger. Warn those in danger. Snatch others from the fire and save them. That is, people who are playing with fire. They're playing with fire. They're walking away from their spouse and they think it won't matter. They're believing you can get to heaven in lots of different ways. Those are people who are playing with fire, and we have to help them. Number one, we have to carefully challenge their faulty thinking. Abortion isn't wrong because a woman has a right to do whatever she wants to with her own body. We understand that's faulty thinking because that baby in her is not her own body. 
We have to help them see that. That baby can have a different blood type. If that baby is her body, she now has 20 fingers and toes. It's just not true. That baby is not her body. We, we have to help them correct their faulty thinking. Number two, we have to courageously correct their false ideas. When somebody says there's no evidence that Jesus lived or died on a cross or rose again, we, we have to correct that. Say there's no evidence that Jesus lived and died on a cross and he was buried and he, he rose again. There's no evidence outside of the Bible. Nonsense. There's more evidence outside the Bible about Jesus Christ and his life than there is about Julius Caesar. There's far more evidence. We, we have to correct their faulty thinking that all religions are the same. There's just superficial differences. No. All religions are vastly different. Most of the religions of the world, you earn your way to God. We do something to earn God's favor, but in Christianity, God does something for us. It's completely different. We have to help people. Number three, we, then we have to watch out for the dangerous. <clears throat> he says, to others show mercy mixed with fear. Interesting. There, there are some people who are dangerous. And sometimes when we're helping people and dealing with people, we forget this truth. I put it right in your notes. It's easier to be pulled down than to pull up. We, we get dealing with people and we think, well, I'll, I'll be around these people and I'll help pull them up, when in reality they pull us down. It's a lot easier to have somebody pull you down than to pull them up. Like I'm standing here right on the edge, and let's, let's suppose I get a 90-pound weakling to come over here. Do you think they could pull me off or I could pull them up? I, it's very likely that a 90-pound weakling, let's say Lily came up here. It's very... That was just for fun. It's very likely that if I grabbed her hand, she could pull me off. Do you know why? Because it's much easier to pull down than it is to pull up. You hang around with people... You say, well, I'm strong in my faith. I'm strong in my faith. I can certainly pull them up. It's a lot easier for them to pull you down than for you to pull them up. Much easier. There's people in this room right now, and you're thinking, well, that's true for other people, but I'm strong. And God has a statement for us. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he get pulled down, because it's easier to get pulled down than pull up. So, he says, we need compassion and caution. Compassion for people, everyone. Every lost person needs compassion, but sometimes we need caution. Why? Because if we spend much, too much time, we find out this. Bad company corrupts good morals. You get pulled down. This is real, and Jude's warning about it. Number two, we need determination and distance. Determination to help, but distance at the same why. Because he who walks with a wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. It's easier for them to pull you down, for them to pull you up, for you to pull them up. Much easier. And he's saying we need to be very careful. And then he ends with this great doxology, this great statement. We started our service with it this morning. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. 
Amen. So let it be. And here's his last point. Number seven, we need to trust our great God. We need to trust him. To do what? Number one, to keep us from falling, not stumbling. Though we stumble, he will not let us fall. We sang that this morning. And though we stumble, he will not let us fall. He won't let us crash and burn. So I want to remind all of you what Jesus said. Jesus said, all that the Father gives to me, everyone who's chosen and called, that's how this letter started. Everyone who's chosen and called, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of who sent me. And so we don't misunderstand. He says, and this is what God's will is. This is the will of him who sent me, that I lose none of those who have given me, but I raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up. Jesus Christ has never lost a chosen person yet. Never, and he's never going to. Why? It's the will of God. Say, is salvation forever? Absolutely forever. Jesus Christ never loses a person chosen and called by God. Never. This will never happen. Number two, we trust God to finish his work. He's still working to transform us. We're not completely transformed. We're not like Jesus Christ yet, but we will be. Philippians chapter 1, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion. God's going to finish what he started. So he's transforming you. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You asked him to be your Savior and Lord, and you've begun following him. And ever since that day, he's been working to transform you so that you'll become more like Jesus Christ is. This is what God's doing, and he's going to get the job finished so that one day we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. How do we know it? Because God finishes every job he starts. We can trust him to do this. Number three, we can trust God to run the world. We don't have to feel that we have to run it. We can just trust God to run the world. He's the authority, glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ. He's running the world. Everything that happens in this world happens according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. Donald Trump is in the Oval Office because God willed it. The decision he makes, God wills them. Everything happens according to the will of God, and we can trust that it's in his plan, and he's running the world. Number four, we can trust God to win in the end. We can trust him for this. In the end, Jesus Christ is going to win. Don't put your notes away. You were headed... You were headed to put them away. Don't put them away. Grab them and stand up. Grab your notes and stand up. Say, I don't have any notes. (laughs) Well, you're out of luck, Charlie. Got your notes? Here we go. We're going to read that last great verse together. This is the truth. Jesus Christ is going to win. You bet he is. Here we go. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the truth. At the end of time, Muhammad will kneel before Jesus. Just remember, every knee is going to bow. Buddha is going to kneel before Jesus. At the end of time, Joseph Smith is going to kneel before Jesus. Everyone is going to kneel before Jesus. Everyone in the world, everyone in this room, because Jesus is going to win. Say, are we going to make it? We're going to make it. Absolutely. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with great joy. That's going to happen. And that day, everybody's going to bow before Jesus Christ. Everyone in the world, everyone in this room, because Jesus Christ is going to win. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus Christ is going to win. Oh, yes. Dear Heavenly Father, may we rest in your sovereign control. May we rest in your great promises. And Father, when we get to the end of the road, we know there won't be any praise for how faithful we've been, but only praise for how faithful you've been. Father, we'll know it wasn't us. It was all you. It was all Jesus. It was all the Holy Spirit. And all glory goes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.